Hello and welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I'm just so excited to be bringing you another one of these bonus episodes. You know, a lot of a lot of the time our podcast is audio only, but here lately, thanks to you and, and all of you out there that have become patrons, we are now able to do these video interviews with some of the best Catholic presenters and men the church has to offer. And that case is no different today. I'm going to bring on my guest here in a few minutes, and it's going to be Pete Burak of uh, ID916 and Renewal Ministries. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit first about Pete. Pete's a friend of mine. I've known him over the last few years and just had the blessing of, of being around him several times, whether it was here in my hometown of Memphis or at Seek or places like that, and I've just enjoyed getting to know him and, and his family some. So, But I want to tell you a little bit about Pete. Pete is the director of ID916. He is a uh, 2010 graduate of Franciscan University. He played basketball in college uh, there as well. He has a master's in theology from Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. Uh, Pete is a frequent speaker at tons of youth and young adult events, and he is the camp co-director of Pine Hills Boys Camp. But I think Pete would tell you that his greatest blessing is his wife, Kate, and his two daughters, Grace and Aaron, and his two sons, Donovan and Zeke. So without further ado, I want to bring up Pete. Uh, Pete, it is great to have you with us again. Thanks, John. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, I got to tell you something. I know you and I, uh, we, we worked on this the other day, and for whatever reason, the, <laughs> the devil didn't want it to happen on Friday, so we're here today doing it. But uh, what a blessing it is to be with you. And, you know, I just wanted to jump into some things right away. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that listen to Just a Guy on the Pew, the show that we have here, the podcast, and some of the other things we do, they always ask questions about discipleship. And this is something that you've been doing for years and doing well. Uh, I mean, I know you're a humble guy, but you guys have been doing this really well. Um, and I know that some of the things that guys talk about is is really just, you know, what does discipleship look like? And, and what if I didn't have it in my life? And this is something that I know from, from knowing you and your story. Uh, you know, the first time I saw you was on Crossing the Goal with your father and those guys, Danny and Peter and, and uh, Curtis, those guys you've, you know, grown up around were all on the show talking to you and your father. And something that always stuck out to me was that you sort of had this upbringing that a lot of people maybe didn't uh, in, in the church or just in, in life in general, being surrounded by a lot of guys. And So would you talk about that a little bit, like how your upbringing and the discipleship that you experienced kind of led you to where you are today with ID916 and everything you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, growing up, I didn't realize I was having a unique Catholic experience. It just seemed normal for me. Not only did my parents both believe and were committed disciples themselves, which meant, you know, we were going to Mass every Sunday, we were praying the Rosary as a family. Um, you know, I remember early, early on, my mom would always say, whenever a decision would come up, she'd always say, well, what does Jesus want you to do? And I'd say, <laughs> I don't know, you know, and I'd, she'd say, well, go pray about it and tell me what he says. And uh, a lot of times that was more of a frustration than a blessing, at least experienced as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old. But, yeah. you know, it, little things like um, when my grandpa died, my dad gathered the whole family in the, the living room and we prayed for him. And we prayed mm -hmm. together and we wept together. But he, he was just demonstrating right out of the bat that the first reaction to everything was to turn to the Lord. Um, mm -hmm. So I, di I didn't know that that was unique. But then I later came to find out, too, that what was also very unique was I can think of at least 30 men that took a vested interest in my spiritual life. Um, wow. And my dad had given them permission to do so. And this was not a unique thing even just for me. This was the community I was raised in. This was the, the parish, the Christ the King parish that here in Ann Arbor that— we were fostering a, an environment where the men of the community, the women too, but in, at least in my case, the men of the community, uh, all knew they had a role to play in the discipleship mm. of all the young men in the community. It wasn't just their sons or their their nephews. It was it was everybody 
had a role to play. And so I would go over to the, the Rolf's house or the Herbeck's house or the Cresta's house or the, you know, the Macari's house and the Chalkley's house. And, you know, Mr. Rolf would look at me and say, you know, how's basketball going? Like a normal, yeah. you know, normal <laughs> question. And I'd tell him and then he'd say, okay, well, what's, you know, what's Jesus doing in your life? Wow. And at the time it was like, <laughs> you know, what do you say when, you, when you're a 13 year old boy, you just kind of mumbled, oh, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. but the point was very clear. Like as much as we celebrated as a community, sporting achievement and academic achievement, and, you know, all these different things, what was abundantly clear to me was my dad wasn't a weirdo for believing uh, because yeah. there were other men I knew and respected and loved who loved me that were modeling this life of, of radically following Jesus. And statistically speaking, it's, this plays out over and over again. As much as it is important to have a, a father and a mother raise their child in the faith, it's actually incredibly important to have other adults that that child yeah. can respect who can also model what their parents are teaching them. And so, you know, you've heard the adage, it takes a village to, to raise somebody. Well, mm -hmm. I learned that it takes a village to disciple somebody. Wow. Yeah, it, it, you know, and it is funny. I remember the first time when I started uh, walking with men and some of them were over at the house and Jacob, uh, my eleven now 11-year-old son, he was probably, you know, nine or, or eight around then, he did something and I, I was in the other room. I was preparing food or something. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything bad, but he did something and one of my friends corrected him. And I remember like, at first I was like, hey, wait a minute, man, that's my kid. Like, you know, that's not, but then all of a sudden this kind of grace came over me. It was like, no, I want that. Like, I want yeah, that in my right. life. I want somebody else that's going to look after my children too and make sure that they're behaving and, and, and teaching them, you know, morally sound things and, and things they need to do for that extra, um, that benefit, that, that sort of reinforcement from other men. And I can't agree with you more. Like just in the last few years, I have learned to cherish that with the men that I'm walking with and mm -hmm. just the openness we have to, to really lend a hand in that way to, to our families. Now, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, you know, that would say, well, well, that's great. I want to disciple somebody. Right. But I was never discipled in my life. And, and how the heck do I even do this? Like, I, you know, I don't know how to do it. So, so how can it be expected of me? Right. So what, what would you say to those, those kind of questions or those kind of statements from men? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it, I get it. Like it, not everyone had this type of upbringing and to much has been given, much is expected. And there is sure. a, a certain burden uh, uh, to to carry to say, like, all right, what, what am I going to do with this this experience, this gift of having this this upbringing? Um, at the same time, all things are possible with God. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't think we need to build into our mentality some sort of and dare I say, almost like victim mentality, because I didn't have this growing up, and because I didn't have this model, there's no chance of me being able to learn how sure. to disciple. I mean, that that just like, that's just fundamentally not true. Because yeah. um, one of the things uh, I like to say is, we don't really know how to do anything until we do it. So <laughs> just because I had this upbringing, just because it was modeled for me, I don't know how to disciple someone until I start to do it. You know, anyone who's been married, no amount of marriage prep really prepares you for marriage. You can read about it, you can watch other couples, you can you can think about it, you can plan, and then and then the moment you're married, you realize like, oh shoot, like I, I really didn't know how to do this until you start to do it. Sure. It's the same thing with everything. It's fishing. I can read about fishing, I can watch YouTube videos on fishing, I can watch other people fish, but until I start to fish, mm -hmm. I don't know how to fish, right? And so this idea that because I I didn't have it modeled for me. Well, the fact is we all have it modeled for us in Jesus. Jesus is the mm. perfect discipler and the scriptures are 
literally one big story of how to replicate the life of God into somebody else. And Jesus's entire earthly ministry was about creating an environment and demonstrating to his disciples and then ultimately to us the truth about who he was, the truth about our salvation, and the truth about how to replicate that in other people. And then the final thing I'd say too is like, if somebody says, I don't know how to do it, I don't know when to do it, I don't know who to do it with, I don't have the power to do it. Well, that's like a resounding, of course you don't. Um, and that's <laughs> yeah. and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. I mean, even the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years, who were better discipled than anyone ever, were told to wait until they received power from on high. And mm. then they would go out and be their, the witnesses and build the kingdom. So even them, Peter, James, John, all these all these men and women who were discipled directly by Jesus himself, were lacking something uh, or needed a fullness of something. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's a, actually a beautiful posture to be in, to be like, I, I want to do this. I feel called to do this. And I don't know how, and I don't feel like I have the power. That's exactly where the Lord needs us. Amen. So that we can actually just be in front of him saying, like, give me what I need. You know, and, and some of that's going to be internal. Some of that's going to be external. Some of that's going to be brothers like you. Some of it's going to be podcasts. Some of it's going to be the next Scott Hahn book is going to help you a little bit. There's a thousand different ways the sure. Lord is going to form us into where we need to go. But it starts with a posture of humility and receptivity saying, I want this, but I, I, I need something. Sure. I mean, I, I can testify to what you're saying. I mean, when we started a men's group at our parish and I had no idea, I walked into a room full of guys and told them all the crazy stuff that, you know, has happened yeah. in my life. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was afraid. And I thought every one of those guys was going to get up out of the room and leave. And, and it was in that vulnerability that these men started to share their own mis, uh, miscomings and their shortfalls and their mistakes and, and just became, you know, began to become open. And at that point, like, it just started to happen. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. My pastor said, yeah, you can start a group. And he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I have no idea. I was hoping you'd tell me. You know, and he just starts, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, why don't you start with a book? Right. Just read. I think we started with the resisting happiness, Matthew Kelly book or something. And we just started going and then just abandoning ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And then at that point, it just it was like, you, you know, you never heard a direct voice say, like, do this, do yeah. that. But sure. you just felt these promptings of something. And, you know, you brought up two good points I wanted to question you about, you know, and what you said a minute ago. Like, so if you're a guy that wants to to dive into where should I look in the in the scriptures for discipleship? Obviously, as you said, Jesus' whole ministry is a pretty good place to start. But like, where have you found um, passages maybe that have helped you? And then also, how does a guy begin to become in tune with the Holy Spirit? You know, the, the disciples had to wait for it, but how does a guy begin to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, two big and important questions. Um, sure. Uh, the first one, in terms of where in Scripture. I, I, I do think it's worth just reiterating to read the Gospels sure. with this perspective. So to say, all right, I'm going to read the Gospels because we should be reading the Gospels constantly anyway, right? And we, we almost yeah. become desensitized to the Word of God sometimes because of our, if we go to Mass every Sunday and others, we can almost, oh, I've heard that story before, so it just mm -hmm. kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's like the prodigal son. We've all heard that a thousand times, so now almost forget what it actually means, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you read if you read the Gospels with the specific focus of what is Jesus doing to produce himself in his followers so that when he is gone, they are able to do the same thing. Yeah. Because that's ultimately what discipleship is about. It's about helping people become Jesus. I mean, that's God became man, St. Thomas Aquinas said, so that we could become gods. Like there's this, and it's kind of crazy what that all means, but it means like the life of Jesus so transforms us that at the end of our life, the father sees the son 
and it welcomes us into the kingdom, right? We are transformed yeah. and we are grafted into the body of Christ so as to enter into eternal glory. So in order for that to happen, there's a there's like a fundamental DNA shift that happens in us that both touches our our character, our inner life, our holiness, and our competency, right? What we're able to do. I mean, Jesus was was about replicating himself, both in his character, his holiness, his virtue, his internal life, and his competencies, what he actually was able to do. And as his disciples, we are invited radically into a fullness of both of those, to actually yeah. become holy and actually do, and Jesus said, do greater works than he did. You know, like, blows the mind on that when you think <laughs> yeah, about crazy. what he did. Yeah. You know, insane. Yeah. So when you read the Gospels with that lens of, okay, what is, and what you'll see is this really fascinating combination of one-on-one -on -one discipleship, small group discipleship, large group discipleship, and then the one that nobody ever talks about, medium-sized group discipleship. So yeah. he's got, you know, he's got Peter, James, and John, the three. He identifies Peter within the three to kind of invest in in a particular way. Then you've got the 12, that's still kind of like a men's group size group. But then at one point, you know, he sends out 70. It's like, where'd the 70 come from? You know, clearly he had a tribe of people that were walking with him, men and women that, yeah, the 12 had a particular way that they were served and the three within the 12 and the one within the three. But then there was this group of 70, more like an extended family sized unit yeah. that was, was moving together, which is something we don't see in the church very often. Most of the time we focus on big groups or small intimate discipleship and miss that middle kind of um, extended family-sized unit. And then, of course, you have the Sermon of the Mount and the big moments where he's, he's speaking to the crowds. And in all of those, he's perfectly navigating this combination of proclamation, apprenticeship, and experience. I'm going to say that again. Like, human beings learn something best when it's delivered three ways. In a classroom way, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm teaching you something, like something like this podcast. Sure. Through an apprenticeship way, like watch me do it. We're going to mm -hmm. do it together type of format. And then uh, now you go do it. Uh, mm -hmm. A total immersion experience. And you sure. see that with the disciples. He teaches them. He models for them. And then he sends them out. And there's yeah. some sort of rhythm to that entire thing. And so Jesus, is, Jesus lays out a blueprint for us. And that is often, um, I think, can be hidden within the midst of the churchiness of parish life where we have all these programs and structures and different things that make sure. up what it means to be part of the church. And we sometimes miss that just foundational stuff. And then uh, the other place I would look to is uh, read first John. Uh, mm. All your guys out there need to read first John because John then gives us this really awesome explanation for why he's doing what he's doing. And it's yeah. in the first five lines. He basically says like what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched what we have witnessed concerning the word of life, this was this was made known to us, and we make it known to you. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, simply put, the the first disciples were bearing witness to what God had done in them. Kind of like full stop, you know, mm -hmm. like they didn't. What they were proclaiming was Jesus did something in us, and He wants to do it in you too. Yeah. And you can trust us because we're going to demonstrate it in power and all this. But basically, it's like this changed our lives. And we want to extend that invitation to you too. Yeah, it'll and that, change yours. Yeah. It can change yours. And, and and John, how many times have you heard when you tell your story, what you're <laughs> telling your story is just like, God did something in me. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how it works. And I don't know what you're going through, <laughs> but goodness gracious, if he can change me, he can absolutely change you and wants to. Yeah. And that's 
that is such an important part of discipleship. If you can't be authentic and genuine and transparent and live a life that can be an imitated, an imitatable life, to be able to show somebody this is how I live and why, we don't have a stand a chance of discipleship because ultimately people are going to say, all right, you say all these nice things, but I don't see any of the evidence of what life. you say in yeah. your life. Yeah. No, it's a great point. And, you know, it's something that, that I think a lot of people are intimidated, you know, when they say, well, I want to go evangelize. I want to be a disciple. I want to, but I don't know where to start. But you make a great point. We all have a story, right? right. And God wants to tell the beauty of what he's done in our, our lives, you know, through us. And and a lot of times people get caught up in, well, I don't have some, I've had guys say this to me, well, I don't have some crazy story like you have, you know, that, that is just, but no, but you have your own stories. You have your own way that God has worked in your life. But a lot of people, it's like we, we're almost like we're perfectionists. Like I've got to know all the plans. I got to know all the details and I got to be able to do it perfectly or I'm not going to do it. And it leads to procrastination, right? And we never get around to it because right. there's never going to be a point where we're perfectly great at this. Right. It's just at some point God says, go out and, and just trust me and do it. And it's just something that, you know, for a lot of people that are listening right now, I want you to hear that. Like God just wants you to give your yes and to go out and do what he's asked you to do. And that's going to help people. Just your example. You know, you don't have to be a guy on a stage. You don't have to be you know, a great theologian. You just have to be a guy that's willing to share your experiences with Christ. Um, yeah. You know, Pete, another thing I want to bring up, too. Is oftentimes in the church, you know, I've seen this, and, and people ask in our men's group when we started it, like, how are all these men coming? And, and, like, why are so many men coming to this thing now? And how have you had, like, eight guys become Catholic in the first year? What are you doing to catechize them? And I used to laugh, and I'd say, I don't know. We're not doing anything. We're just introducing them to Jesus and other people who want to be better, other people that want to be virtuous, and, and, and building relationship. So how important in your eyes is, like, relationship to pre-evangelization and discipleship? Because I know when I first started, I made some mistakes of the group took off a little bit. And then we had our thing in the bulletin. And I was walking up to every guy in the church like, hey, I'm John Edwards. And I started this men's group. And hey, you should be there. You're a guy. I'm a guy. There's guys in there. You should be there. And it made me realize, like, guys would go, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, I might come. You know, and they look very perturbed or bothered or annoyed. And I would go right to the next guy in the pew, right? I'd make my way up before everybody left the church. And I always wondered, like, why are more guys not coming? I talked to all these guys. But what I come to re- what I came to realize later was, man, like I didn't know those guys. Like I hadn't earned the right in their life to. If I was a guy that was sitting there and somebody came up and said, "You need to come to this men's group," I'd probably be like, "What do you think of me? And what did I do that made you believe that I'm terrible and I need to like yeah. know Jesus better?" Those kind of things. I think oftentimes in the church we kind of hand a catechism and a Bible and say, "Hey, you know, you want to become Catholic? You want to love Jesus? Read this. Show up at RCA for eight months, and then you're going to be on your way." But we oftentimes lack the introduction to relationship with Christ and then building relationships with others before we try to get into those steps of discipleship. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I mean, the, the similarities between just like how you would woo a spouse or how you would mm-hmm. build a friend is, is actually very scriptural. I mean, there's tons of scriptures about God, the father really like, doting on the people of Israel and trying to draw them into relationship with him like a like a husband and a wife component yeah. you know and like any healthy friendship or uh, marital relationship it's it's not transactional you know it's not uh, well it shouldn't be transactional and nor should it be um, kind of a sense of like trying to use somebody for something and I think too yeah. often when we're leading a ministry or when we're involved in something that's really exciting our invitation 
sure is, is probably genuine, you know, like sure. we want people to be there, but part of the invitation and part of the reason we're excited to invite them is because of the kickback to us of seeing another person there and the, yeah. Oh, it feeds our pride that instead of 30 people, we had 60 people and sure. isn't it great? Father's patting us on the back, man, John, what a great event. You know, I had 60 people there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know? And there's nothing, I mean, again, the, the desire to invite and the desire to help people be drawn in is usually from a pure, pure origin. But it can very easily be manipulated into some sort of kind of I'm kind of using you to get to a perception of fruitfulness or perception of success sure. or whatever. And so I think a couple of things are really important to remember. First off is um, anytime there's a conversion, anytime there's a, a movement from wherever somebody is closer to God, that is entirely a work of God. Amen. You know, Amen. like that is God moving. And if he chooses to move through something you say or do. Well, praise God, but that is his yeah. work, you know, Amen. which again, takes the pressure off a lot because then it's not actually on us to convert anyone. It's on him to convert people. It's on us to be faithful to whatever he's asking us to do to participate in that saving work. But we are, we are not the protagonists of that story when it comes yeah. to helping people meet the Lord. Um, so that's really, really important. And then the second thing is, is just, um, just rediscovering and, and recommitting ourselves to the idea of friendship, of the the sure. real value of of walking with somebody. And and here's the thing, I think there's this there's another way we can go where accompaniment, which is a popular word right now, becomes mm -hmm. this idea that I'm going to walk with somebody no matter what they do for however long, no matter where it goes. Yeah. And and that there may be a a point to some, especially somebody like in your family, like a sister or a brother, you're going to walk with them for a long time. Sure. Maybe forever, no matter what they do, because of the nature of the relationship. But there is a, there is a sense of like when we're in a evangelistic mindset, we want to walk with people. We need to get to know them. We need to know what's actually going on in their hearts. So when they say things, we can actually question it and get deeper into the root cause of whatever it is they're saying or doing, so that we're actually dealing with what's truly going on in their heart, not what the perception of it is, and all that. But there there does need to come a time where we we do extend the invitation to, hey. You know, you disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. You shouldn't be going to Emmaus anymore. You need to go back to Jerusalem. You know, sure. Jesus yeah. came alongside them. He asked them questions. He got to know them. He figured out what was going on in their heart. But then he revealed himself to them and said, like, what are you going to do, basically? And they chose yeah. to, to turn back, you know. And so we need to keep in balance this idea that I'm going to get to know people. I'm not going to treat them as a project. I'm going to treat them as a person that the Lord loves. And I'm going to play my role and I'm going to love them. But love demands the truth, and love demands um, invitation yeah. to greater love, and so I'm not going to be afraid of that either. So it is—it's way more of a dance than I think a science. And I think a lot of men like to, you know, some men are the ones who never get a new piece of furniture and would never look at the instructions. I'm just going to put it <laughs> yeah. together, right? Sure. But yeah. and then other men are the ones who are like, I'm going to follow everything to the letter. And sure. evangelization in friendship is definitely not a. A to B to C to D. It's a sure. it's a journey. It's a dance. And um, but that's where if we can take the pressure off ourselves, saying it's not my job to make this happen. It's my job to be faithful, uh, and then follow the current of the spirit throughout the midst mm -hmm. of it. Well, no, and I think that's a great point because you can easily. I mean, we have a group, like I said, and I've talked about on here a couple times already. But you know, I I would love to be involved in everybody's life personally and know everything that's going on and be there every time the phone rings. But you just can't. Like you you have to be able to pick and choose. And and God puts certain people in your life for a certain amount of times. And I think that's a, a thing a lot of guys have trouble with is like when do I 
when do I know to set them free? When do I know to, to kind of let them go out and say, now you do this? Because there is a desire in all of us, right? You make a good friend, you want to keep a good friend for your life, yeah, and you yeah. want that closeness. But isn't there a season of life? You know, a, there's different seasons of life that you got to go through, and sometimes we're going to come together and we're going to walk for a while, and sometimes we're not. I mean, if you look in the scriptures, Paul, you know, he had all the different uh, all the different disciples he had. You know, Timothy and Titus and Silas mm-hmm. and all these others. He wasn't always with them. I mean, he corresponded and things like that, but he also sent them out. And the times when they were able to come back together and their paths crossed, I'm sure they rejoiced. But like, what time? Like, how does a guy? Um, really become comfortable with that and also really get attuned to the spirit of knowing like the seasons and when is it okay and when is it not to to sort of let a guy to, to let a relationship go the path that it should go yeah I think most if that's of, a clear question I may have muddied that up I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. <laughs> I think I think most men would probably struggle with the opposite which would be not investing enough in their relationship. Yeah, sure. I think most guys are probably more disposed to quickly cutting cords or just letting relationships drift sure. than being too attached. But at the same time, which is a problem, like we just talked about, we need to be able to invest and open our hearts and be transparent and be able to rip open our chest and say, this is what's going on in my heart and yeah. what's going on in yours and, and all that and be able to ask questions and, and all those things. But at the same time, I think um, in terms of knowing how to navigate the changing dynamics of relationships some of that is beyond our control some mm-hmm. of it's you know they get a job in a different place or they they have twins or they you know there's there's sure. a thousand different things that or they get married you know for a lot of guys in my generation uh, or the age group I'm working with those stages of life things tend to create little moments either for a short term or a long term of yeah dis- disconnection um, but I, I I just make it a regular habit of just trying to, whenever I have a question like this, to not overanalyze it, not try to psychoanalyze it, uh, but to just kind of say, like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this? Uh, mm-hmm. And it, and it's a posture of the heart. Again, it's not an audible voice that I, I tend to hear. It's just, just movements of the Spirit to be able to say, okay, you know what? I haven't reached out to this guy in a long time. I think I, think I should, and I'm just going to send him a text. Or, you know... Um, and to just try to eliminate the feeling of guiltiness of when when a relationship does seem to kind of drift away, to just kind of bring it before the Lord. Lord, is this is this your design for this relationship? If so, I'm I'm willing to accept, even if there's some suffering to it. And if it's not His design, well, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? You know. And again, I I wish I had more like concrete things to be able sure. to say. Well, if if you know if they send you a Christmas card, then keep definitely keep that relationship or something like that. You know. <laughs> That's right. I, I don't have that. It's more of um. Depends more, on the size it, of the gift card, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. How many pictures are on the front of it? You know. That's right. Um, I think it's more of a case of it stems from this. If we're living life with Jesus, if we're regularly spending time, silence and solitude with Him, listening to Him, be, become tuning our ears to hear His voice and follow His Spirit, a lot of these questions get more answered because it's they all kind of fall under the certain mystery of following God's will for our life, which can only be discerned through communication with him, which can yeah. only happen if we spend time with him and which can only happen if we detach from the noise and the sounds of everything else and actually carve out time, sure. every guy, every day, reading scripture and being quiet, um, which to me is the maybe the foundational wound of most men is mm-hmm. that we don't actually pray. Yeah. Uh, and we don't actually read scripture. And, uh, 
and we wonder why we don't hear God's voice or we wonder why we don't have the strength <laughs> to do these things, but we yeah. don't do the bare basics, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a great point. And that's something I talk to guys about all the time is, you know, I, I would have men in my men's group come up and say, well, man, my job's terrible right now. My wife and I aren't getting along. Uh, you know, other things are not going well. And I would always say like, okay, well, have you been to mass? No. Have you read scripture? No. Have you prayed? No. Well, then call me back when you've done any one of those three things and see what happens in your life. So that brings up a good point for a guy that is discipling other men. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this in your life where you start walking with a guy and it's just difficult. I've had a lot of focused uh, students, you know, focused ministers that have, or missionaries that have, have uh, I've walked with, and they they come to me and they talk about this. John, like I'm on campus and I'm I'm trying to get these athletes and I'm trying to get these guys to start really doing what we're talking about, but it's just hard and it's a struggle and I can't get men to move in the right direction and I'm burning out and I feel like I'm not effective in my ministry. Like, what would you say to that, to a, to a person that's actively trying to disciple others and you run into those roadblocks where, you know, no matter what you're trying to do or what you think the Lord is trying to use you to do, you're not making a lot of progress with somebody. Like, what, what would you say in that situation in your experience? Yeah, I would say welcome to the club. You know? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, yeah. more often than not, when Jesus preached in Scripture, people walked away from him yeah. then followed him to the point they killed him. You know, mm-hmm. I would say we haven't even r- arrived at a certain degree of failure yet because you're not on a cross, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus even said, like, if you love brother, sister, father, mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. You got to pick up your cross and follow me um, because they hated the world's hated me. So they're going to hate you. You know, so yeah. there's a there's a certain badge of honor when it's hard uh, yeah. that is consistent with the lives of the saints. You know, guys like St. Louis de Montfort died basically thinking the church thought he was a heretic. Yeah. And then turns out, no, he's a canonized saint. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just watching a movie with my wife the other day that I'd recommend with everybody to watch. It's called The Hidden Life. With uh, It's about this guy named Franz Jägerstatter, a conscientious objector from Austria during World War II. The guy refuses to swear loyalty to Hitler uh, and dies in isolation. Nobody knows who he is other than his wife. Everybody hates him. The, his priest, his bishop, everyone tries to talk him out of it, thinks he's crazy. He has no tangible fruitfulness in his life wow. at all. He's a peasant. He leaves behind a wife who's struggling to keep the farm going with three young daughters, all because he's unwilling to sin. And he thinks, wow. and he believes that joining the German army and fighting for an evil man, Hitler, is would be sinful. And so he refuses to do it. And he dies completely alone and nobody celebrates it for decades. Nobody even knows what he wow. did. And it, it's completely hidden, completely useless, completely um, – he accomplishes nothing in the eyes of the world, truly. And now he's uh, he's been named Blessed, which is on the road you know, to sainthood. And it's like, whew, there's just, yeah, a, it's a, crazy. <laughs> there's just a different metric of evaluation for success in the kingdom yeah. of God that Amen. we just – especially as American men, just really struggle with. It's just yeah. really hard to believe that somebody like that is has an incredible crown of glory right now. Yeah. And, and it was all worth it. It was yeah. all worth it. Um, so... And so I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. I, I mean, this is, this is an age-old question of anyone who's trying to be faithful to the Lord is like, how do I how do I live in that dichotomy of pursuing souls with full passion and full vigor and full conviction while also being detached from the results and recognizing that yeah. fruitfulness is faithfulness 
and and you know that's the, those are what's tied together, not some sort of numbers or metrics of success. So, I, honestly, I don't know fully how to how to navigate that, other than I'm just learning more and more that to live out of and through the gift of being in relationship with Jesus, letting that be enough because it right. it's more than enough. Um, and so somebody who who would be griping or, or not griping or be you know worried about a certain level of fruitfulness i would just say pray more um spend more time with the lord spend more time letting that relationship be enough sure and um again really easy to say in a microphone on a podcast incredibly (laughs) difficult to live yeah Um, but i think that is the truth no it is And, and there's a certain level of humility that has to come with all of this right like you said before this is not of me this is of god so a lot of times i think we start to try to control everything that's happening right it's us doing it and if we just do this or we just do that then things will happen but it's it's really that total surrender and you know one of my favorite lines you were talking about all the different things that jesus says the role will hate you and all that it's from hebrews 12 and it says you've not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood mm. you know and it's talking about suffering and all of that that we a lot of times forget as a part of our call as catholics is there's going to be joy and suffering um, and a lot of that suffering is disciple comes in not knowing sometimes what kind of fruit is coming from what you're doing. But it, it's it's in that suffering where we're invited by Christ to, to just trust more, right? To surrender yeah. more and, and to believe. But, you know, Pete, I want to shift gears here for one second and just sure. talk about ID 916 for a minute. I know you guys have four pillars that are really um, pillars, if you will, <laughs> sure. in the ministry that you guys use. So like, tell us a little bit about that. And then I want you to share about ID, ID 916 and what you guys are doing. Yeah, great. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So we yeah. exist to form young adults, people, twenties, thirties, married, single with or without kids into intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we've boiled it down to defining an intentional disciple and with two words that would then be represented by the four pillars you mentioned. So the two words are, uh, growing and going. So, we have every baptized person has a uh, two fundamental calls on their life. The Second Vatican Council talks about this: universal call to holiness, the Great mm-hmm. Commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, yeah. and then the Great Commission. Right, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So we're called to grow, and we're called to go: grow in holiness, grow in love, and then go make disciples. And so, sure. a intentional disciple, as we would define, intentional is pretty obvious. Like you can't um, drift into the kingdom of God. There's no salvation by osmosis. It has to be a personal, <laughs> conscious decision. Uh, as Pope John Paul II said, actually, conversion is is marked by a decision that is total and radical. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, not going to ask for a show of hands, but I don't often think of those words, total and radical, as my, my life with the Lord. But that's what we're actually yeah. called to, right? And so the four pillars were our, are an effort for us to define what a disciple is. And so a disciple is somebody. The, the pillars are conversion communion, orthodoxy, and mission. So uh, disciples converted, like I just said, full heart, mind, soul, body, strength, everything, time, talent, and treasure under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, communion, their uh, disciple lives with other disciples. And the fullest expression of this is in holy communion, but then it's to live an actual, genuine, authentic community experience where we're, we're running together. As we're drawn to Jesus, he draws us closer together. Sure. Uh, orthodoxy being the you know, kind of fancy word for right worship, but also believing everything that the church teaches about our life and who we are and mm-hmm. what we're made for and where we're going to be radically and fully Catholic. And then finally mission to go out and to make disciples that a disciple is somebody who is not just uh, personally living with the Lord, but active in the mission of the church. And 
we like to make sure that not everybody's called to an expression of these things in the same way. It's um, each of us has a role to play in the evangelization and discipleship of everyone. We all are going to bring different gifts and, and, and charisms and ideas and all this to bear. But ultimately, we're, we're in this together. And one of the ways we like to think about it is a community on mission or an extended family on mission that we're trying to build a group of people who are defined by the mission that they're trying to accomplish and who are then led by our kind of final thing I'll say is spirit-filled leaders. So we believe at sure. the heart of all fruitfulness within the church is people who are intentional disciples, but who have actually stepped into what we would call spirit-filled leadership, who are even more deeply assessing their understanding of what it means to abide in the Father, become the Son, and live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and are putting everything at the service of building this, the kingdom together. Awesome. So just a little bit of stuff, right? Yeah, just you know, just some mild, uh, mild things to cover there. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. awesome, man. You guys are doing some great work, and Thank I you. know you've also started a podcast uh, recently, right? Not too long ago. What's that called, and, and what are you doing with it? Yeah, you know, another one of those little COVID pivots. Uh, so yeah. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, and and COVID accelerated that. I'm sitting at home one day, and my brother calls me and says, "Hey, I started a podcast," and I was like, "What? You started a podcast? Come on!" <laughs> And it was more of like a, something for his students. And I said, man, if you can start a podcast, shoot, I can do that too. You know, right. really competitive brother mentality. <laughs> there you there. go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's called The Hour. And it's based on John Paul II's uh, famous quote where he said, the hour of the laity has struck. And yeah. so trying to, um, every episode we try to look at the signs of the times, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the church, what's going on in our lives, and how as, as primarily as lay people are we called to enter into it. So it's the the final hour, the hour sure. of the laity, you know, the coming hour, and um, yeah. So it's it's on all, all the major podcasts platforms. A lot of times you have to search the hour renewal ministries if you want to find it a little quicker. But um, yeah, we're 20 episodes in now, and super fun. Awesome. Well, you can find all that, guys. I believe it. Well, at least the ID916. You can find it at ID916.com. And as Pete said, on any platform out there, you can find his podcast. I got to ask you one more question. I'd be sure. remiss if I didn't. Um, just this is for all the fathers out there. So I know that you deal with with helping a lot of young adults, uh, millennials, if you will. I know you do a lot of talks for millennials, things like that. I get asked all the time, John, like, how do I? And I, I'm a guy who's got young children, um, you know, so I haven't, I don't have any that have gotten to the age that a lot of guys inquire about. I know yours are young too, but sure. how do we? How does a guy keep his children in the faith? Um, help raise them in the way that they're hoping to raise them. Because uh, it is a tough time, you know. This world is filling, you know, young people's heads with a lot of other things besides Christ and uh, relativism reigns, all that stuff. So, very, you know, I, I don't want. I know it's a big question, uh, but I wanted to say, what do, what are your your what is your advice to people that are dealing with those questions? Parents that are saying, like, how do I bring my child back that's left, or how do I continue to build up my my child in Christ? Yeah, no, this is normally a forty-five minute talk. Oh, I'm do, sure, you know, I know. Yeah. So, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'll just quickly hit a couple key points. One sure. is we've, and several of them we've already talked about, but the first one would be um, don't stop praying, don't stop fasting. Um, there's nothing, my generation has an incredible radar for BS. So if you yeah. think we can talk about Jesus and nothing changes on your face, nothing about your life reflects what you claim to believe, we will just put you in the hypocritical bin that we have established for Amen. basically everyone in leadership in the world and um, <laughs> and and just ignore you. So to be able to be transformed by the love of Christ ourselves so that when we bear witness to him, there's something authentic, especially and in, in particularly in moments of crisis. 
the the Mm. gospel is most alive, most clearly different from the world in moments of crisis, whether that's death, the loss of a job, a pandemic, something like that is when Christianity should really shine. So prayer and then fasting. You know, Jesus said there's certain spirits that can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. And the spirit of the age that is absolutely infested my generation, um, I think, is one of those spirits that can only be cast out through uh, prayer and fasting. And there's nothing, uh, a few things more noble than a father fasting for their kids. And um, uh, my dad gave up chocolate his entire adult life for my brother and my uh, our purity. Uh, He didn't eat chocolate. And then he also didn't drink his entire adult life for my my mom for their marriage mm. and those were just two fasts he loved chocolate and he he, he was okay with a drink yeah. and he gave both of those up as fast for our purity and for the health of his marriage and uh bore tremendous fruit so there's something about fasting and then the second thing i'd say is if we're serious about le- leaning into this generation be prepared for a lot of wounding you're going to encounter yeah. a lot of wounding that you're going to be shocked by you're going to be maybe even scandalized by and the question is are we going to back away from that wounding and say, like, you know what? I did my 18 years trying to raise this kid. It's not worth it anymore. It's going to ruin my weekend. Or do sure. we weep with those who <laughs> weep? Do we mourn with those who mourn and then, mm. so that we can be a healing hand to lead them out of it? Steadfastness and consistency is critical for this generation when so many of our relationships are quick hitting, use, are all about using and kind of hit mm. and drop, you know? And then the final thing I'll just say is, especially for the dads out there, um, yeah. Just ask a lot of questions, especially in these moments of, of deep conversation that'll come up because your son or daughter knows how to push your buttons and knows how to say things that are going to bring about the response they think you're going to have. So they're going to go to college for the first time. And they're going to come back and have after one philosophy class, they're going to say like, well, you know, dad, you know, <laughs> religion's the opiate of the masses. It's for weak minded people who don't know any better and are afraid of death. You know. Sure. <laughs> and everything in you is going to want to just explode on them. I didn't send you to 18 years of Catholic school or 12 years of Catholic school for this. Rah, rah, rah. I'm not afraid yeah. of that. Rah, 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 rah. You know, Catholic <laughs> answers just all over them. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is, that's what they're expecting. That's what they're even hoping for because they don't really want to have the conversation. They're not ready to, to open up what's really going on in their hearts. So they're just trying to say yeah. something to get a rise out of you and to shut down the conversation. So if instead you can do what I call the lean back smile and ask, or you just lean back and you smile and you go, huh, man, I haven't heard that one in a while. Um, <laughs> can you help me understand how you came to that conclusion? Sure. Um, and you just keep asking questions because eventually even the most narcissistic young adult is going to ask, okay, f- enough, dad, like what do you actually think? And then I always recommend you ask one more question. Um, when they're finally ready to hear what you have to say, you say, do you really want to know? Wow. Do you really want to know? Yeah. And they're going to say, yes, yes, of course I want to know. And then you lay it on them. You give it everything you wanted to say in love, the two truth guns, you know, fire away everything that's <laughs> built up in you. Because the fact is, uh, at that point, even if they hate everything you you say, they're going to know that you first sought to understand them, that you honored them and, and respected them enough to hear them first, and that you gave, they gave you permission to speak. The fact is, you don't need their permission, but you're going to humble yourself and say, when you're ready to hear it, I'm ready to give it. And yeah. what that will do is it'll leave the door open for future conversations, and that might come a year later, a month later, or ten years later. But it creates a a, a pathway of of respect in actual conversation that is the type of thing that 
we all long for as fathers to be actually able sure. to communicate with our kids. You know? Yeah. Well, and it actually mirrors the relationship with God, right? Like God's not right. going to force you to do anything. He's going to wait for you to give permission in your life for him to come into it. And then that's when things start to happen. So it mirrors exactly what you're saying. Pete, yeah. like what an amazing guy you are, man. I knew that before this, but like Thanks. what a joy to be with you and, and just everything that you're doing, man, God has just tremendously blessed you and, and you're you're a very gifted uh, individual, and, and I'm so glad that the church has gifts like you. Um, you know, folks out there that are listening, please go to ID916. Look at what uh, Pete and his team are doing. Uh, I'm sure they have some support buttons in there, uh, you know, that where you can support what they're doing, too, uh, as part of Renewal Ministries. Um, if you are a patron of the show, Pete and I are going to jump on here for a few more minutes after this interview is over and do something specifically for the patrons. If you're not a patron, uh, you can do that and become a patron at justagonapew.com slash support. You'll get things like these extra interviews. You'll get some deeper dives into podcasts that we didn't have time to do on our regular episodes. Um, and then you'll also get some extra content and merchandise and things like that too. So uh, if you want to do that, you can do it again at justagonapew.com. Pete, thanks for being with me. I, I just I know this is going to help a lot of people. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, John. All right. God bless.